Rachel Needle from Talking With Tech. And I'm Chris Bouguet from Talking With Tech. We have a podcast dedicated to augmentative and alternative communication, all things related to helping kids with complex communication needs. If you have a passion for helping people with language disabilities, this is the show for you. Each episode features an interview or a roundtable discussion on a topic related to augmentative communication and helping people with language disabilities. And we're really passionate about giving practical strategies to clinicians working in the field who are working with children or adults, anything related to AAC. So you can look us up on iTunes or you can find us on Facebook. We've got a group over there or check out our website at bit.ly slash TWT podcast. Please join our community of professionals that are working to ensure that everyone can say whatever they want to say, however they want to say it. Please listen carefully. What is communication? An essential behavior of life. We have the both blessing and responsibility of trying to foster another. It's the strongest way for two people to convey information to each other. Communication is a lifeline. It's just connection with other people. Connecting people in terms of ideas, thoughts, or needs. Draws us out of ourselves, draws us into that relationship, you know, builds up our families without it being lost. Whatever it is that we do to express intent and achieve an impact. Communication is the ability to express your needs, wants, frustrations, and desires to anyone that you feel needs to have that information. Welcome to Speech Science, Episode 76, proud members of the Exceptional Podcast Network. I'm Matt Hot, joined as always, the man out in Philly, Michael McLeod. What's up, buddy? And in our guest host spot, live from the Sunshine State, Rachel Madel. Hello. Is Hi. California the Sunshine State? It is. It okay, is. Okay, good. Oh, guys, this is such a good thing. But before we start, we want to hear from you, the listener. We appreciate you. So make sure you head over to our website, speechsciencepodcast.com, which links you directly to all of the shows over at XPN, including Rachel's Talking With Tech. We also want you to head over to patreon.com slash mwhproduction, and you can give us a text or a phone call, 614-681-1798, and our email, speechsciencepodcast at gmail.com. And Michael, if they are a social media person, what do they do? They go to Instagram, uh, speech underscore science. Uh, we also have our Facebook page, Speech Science. Uh, are we are we live right now? No, we're not live. Just okay. My son is making humming noises. If anyone's listening in their car, I thought that's what it was. I thought that was the sounds of <laughs> sounds of being live. And then it is what is it? Hashtag SS Pod. Yes, sir. Awesome. All right. So, Rachel, you are the guest. Thank you so much for jumping in with us or the guest host. How has your week been? My week has been insane, Matt. First of all, we've been doing a ton of recording for Talking With Tech because I'm actually um, headed out of town on Friday. Ooh. So it's been it's been a whirlwind. A lot of podcasting this week. Where are you going out of town, if you can say that? I am really excited, actually. So I've been trying forever to get permits to hike to Havasupai Falls, which is a really epic waterfall in the middle of the Grand Canyon. Ooh. And I finally, I've been trying for, I guess this is my third year trying. And the, the permits, they sell out within hours. Um, it's a really popular destination. They only have a certain amount of people they let in, they let in every year. And I was lucky enough to win the lottery. So I'm headed to the Grand Canyon on Friday. Yay. Nice. That is awesome. Michael, can you beat that from Philadelphia? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that, but uh, I <laughs> uh, just returned from some, from doing some work over in Boston. Good time out there. 
uh, back at the private practice this week. Uh, it's been nuts with a lot of uh, new client intakes, a lot of evals, bringing on some more uh, employees. Uh, so it's been a very hectic week. So sitting down talking to you guys is uh, it's pretty nice right now. That's awesome. I got a new TV this week because my warranty replaced the broken TV I had because there was one or two pixels going out. And I, like an idiot, thought my warranty was expiring this year. It expires in three years. So for 50 bucks more, I upgraded from a 55-inch to a 65-inch. And my wife is not as happy with me as she was when we had the 55-inch because now the TV looks excessively big in our living room. I feel like this is like a very common thing. Like men, the the bigger the better when it comes to TV and myself included. I'm like, why does it have to be so big? It doesn't have to be so big. Why does it have to be so big, guys? So THX, which is like the gurus for TV and audio – they say a TV shirt or video should fill up 40% of your viewing uh, area. So hmm. at 10 feet, do either one of you know what 40% of your viewing image would be? Listen, I'm really bad at math. That's why I got into speech language pathology. <laughs> Michael? I have no idea. 90 inches at 10 feet is the size your TV should be according to THX. Okay. Feels, feels like a lot. So just think about that. An average adult human is like what five foot eight, so that is sixty eight inches. Your TV should be a human plus a child in in size. <laughs> well, I like puts, that. Put things into perspective. Yeah, right. You should just walk around with a small child on your shoulders. That is the size your TV should be. However, we like the size of your iPod or iPhone that you're listening to us on. So make sure you head over to our website, Speech Science Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking with Summer Lowe uh, about free comic book day and how we're going to use that in our therapy sessions. Uh, we're also going to talk about Lego bricks and accessibility, the million word gap for people that are not read to. But we're going to start off with an article out of the Asher Wire. It's Diagnostic Decisions and Child Language Assessment uh, from Katrina Fulcher Rude. Um, I really like this because this kind of goes back to when I was in grad school. Our, our professor, Dr. Marinelli, would always tell us to look at the diagnostic triangle. And at the top of it was looking at standardized assessment, but then also, which was just as important, which was clinical opinion and informal assessment. Uh, and this article talks about how 80% of SLPs rely heavily only on standardized testing to guide their decision making. That's actually really surprising. 80% feels really high. Does it? I mean, yeah, I think so. Maybe because I don't, I mean, obviously I do standardized testing, but um, I think that the clinical decision-making is a huge piece and the informal piece. I feel like oftentimes uh, I, I, when I'm assessing children, I'm just not getting a, a true glimpse. There's a lot, all those kind of, you know, protocols and, and rules that you need to follow um, to make sure it's super standardized, right? Um, and I just find that that informal piece is so important in, you know, the assessments that I do. Um, oftentimes I can, you know, really piece out if there's an area of the standardized test that is questionable to me, that's when I'll dive a little bit deeper for the informal piece. So yeah, I guess 80% does feel kind of high for me. I, I literally just went through this with a private client of mine where his school evaluated him and found that he did not qualify for services and due to his expressive and receptive skills. Meanwhile, there are glaring issues for social pragmatics, 
uh, vocal volume and so many other things that ha have been found from uh, informal measures. And it's been a battle for them to look at other things besides standardized testing. So this, this article really, I think it really makes some really great points in terms of how little, you know, in terms of that triangle you talked about, Matt, how little informal measures and clinical opinion is really, is really used for the, for the, the most point here. Well, it was 80%. Uh, I'm sorry. The pattern of reliance on standardized testing was evident even when 80% of SLPs reviewed informal language data as well. In 97% of all cases, a standardized test was the guide for clinical decision-making. So it's actually even higher than that 80, 80%. Well, and I also think that's just a, you know, a result of the criterion that is set in place by school districts and, you know, insurance companies and all these things. So I'm not surprised by that actually thinking through it because, you know, when you're in a school district, what do you have to do? You give an assessment and, you know, you have to base, base, you have to base your recommendations on that. So I don't know. I have a ton of fights with the Sykes in my district this year and the previous years and every district I've been in because a lot there's some of them that will rely only on and say that we can only classify a student as being in an IEP if they are two standard devia deviations away from the norm and I come in here and I test a kid and they're like 83 standard score and I'm like you know what like I don't like how they did this this and this and they go up oh, that's not two standard deviations we're not giving them any special services. Yeah, I mean, when it so I do a lot of AAC work, and when it comes to AAC, I feel like we there's not standardized, you know, protocols. A lot of them, at least, um, and so I think that I really value that informal piece. Um, and you know, kind of as I already mentioned, it's really hard, especially in an assessment where you know, maybe you only have an hour or an hour and a half with the child. It's just one glimpse. They could be having a bad day. They could be like, who is this lady in front of me trying to get me to do stuff? Um, so it's just like, it's really unfortunate. And, you know, Michael, you mentioned those, those kids that kind of fall through the, fall through the cracks. Um, and I, you know, I have very similar situations. Like these kids, they're just kind of like, right under the or right over the threshold of where they would need to be in order to qualify for services through you know regional center or um, the district and there's so many things going on that you're like how is this kid not qualifying for special mm -hmm. education services um you know and it's just it's, it's it's those situations where you know really finessing your report writing as a clinician is so important um you know saying yes they might have scored you know within normal limits on this subtest or, you know, in this area, but here are the reasons why, you know, through informal assessment, I think that, you know, X, Y, or Z is still, you know, a challenge for them. And, and when it all comes down to it, what is the point of the evaluation? Where is it coming from? And insurance companies, Medicare, Medicaid, they do not care at all about our clinical opinion. They mm -hmm. want to know what did the patient score? What's happening? Uh, what is your treatment and how are they going to get better and how soon can we stop funding therapy and how how is it something that could even is it so severe is it something that could even be repaired so it, it's it's all and for school is this another student that needs to be added to this SLP's caseload so I, yeah go ahead oh no I was going to say like I tested a student a couple years ago to send off for paperwork to to get funding and the score the student's core language score was like 52 53 
something like that. And they wrote back a letter and said, these scores are too high. We will not be funding them. Wow. So then I had to like write back and show them that it wasn't 50th percentile. It was a standard score of 50. Like mm. these are the people making decisions, but it also means that maybe we should look at different tests. If we know that funding looks at standardized scores or, or schools, like purposely find the test that maybe overqualifies. I think that, yeah, as clinicians, we kind of, we kind of intuitively do that, right? Like, you know, we're in the middle of a, a test and you're like, hmm, maybe I should get the really tough vocabulary <laughs> test because it feels like that might be, you know, an angle. <laughs> I, I, I've done that many times. So like I, I have a test that I know that my students have in my district have a tendency to score higher on. And if it's a kid that's kind of borderline, I, I'm not as inclined to use that one because I want to make sure that kid gets all the help that they need. Yeah. And there will never be a perfect test. There's no, always, there's always going to be tests that get outdated that are biased towards certain groups of people uh, that are either too long or miss out on certain spots. You know, you have like the GFTA, which kind of touches on things, but how often is the entire uh, GFTA really administered outside of the sounds and words? So there's, there's so True. much, you know, uh, this is why I love executive functioning so much is because, you know, there's, there's really no true standardized testing for it. You know, the, the number one thing is the brief, which is just a parent teacher checklist and getting, so I do a ton of evals and AAC evals, but there's always so many parts of these standardized tests that need to be taken with a grain of salt. And us as trained clinicians, our eye and our judgment is really when it boils down to it, the most important thing. Well, we want to hear from you. So head over to our website, speechsciencepodcast.com. And from there, you can email us speechsciencepodcast at gmail.com or give us a phone call or text 614-681-1798. And I feel like it's good that the three of us all looked at that and said, hey, this seals a little high. And that makes me feel good. That makes my heart feel good about that, guys. But it is hey. the right number, though. So <laughs> don't and, feel don't feel too good. And you know, <laughs> Rachel is a award-winning SLP in the state of California. <laughs> You're Michael, making me blush. Matt. Michael has a wonderful prize. Have you won any awards, Michael? Uh, not on the level of Rachel. You, so you will win even... an award soon. And I got some hardware from Ohio, so that's probably the reason why we all agree that that eighty percent was too high. Hey, speaking of being biased towards people, did you see this coming out of Ohio State University? A There is a million word gap for children who are not read to at home. Uh, that's how many fewer words some may hear by kindergarten. Uh, are we surprised by this that there's, you know, such a huge gap between kids that are read to at home versus kids that are not? No, I'm not. <laughs> there was actually a really, really good podcast I listened to that went really in depth into, oh, it was an NPR, NPR did it. Uh, let's stop talking about, no, that's not it. Uh, there's another NPR uh, podcast that w went really in depth into the study and it's fascinating. They, really? liter they literally had these moms just like record themselves in the home for, it was like a longitudinal study, like over time. And it was absolutely fascinating about how these kids are exposed to language and what they're taking in and uh, certain moms 
philosophies over certain moms' philosophies. Obviously, demographics come into play and and that so many other things. But this is this is really a, an absolutely fascinating study. So I definitely I'll try to find which podcast it is. This study was done by Dr. Jessica Logan, an assistant professor of quantitative research, evaluation and measurement in the College of Education at Human Ecology. Uh, She says kids who hear more vocabulary words are going to be better prepared to see these words in print uh, when they enter school. Even kids who are read only one book a day will hear about 290,000 more words by age five than those who don't regularly read books with a parent or caregiver. Yeah, and you know, I think that there's a few points that I want to make about this. Um, first of all, like, hello, literacy is important. Um, you know, I think that we know that as speech language pathologists, but I don't know that every speech language pathologist is really prioritizing that. Um, I think with, you know, and don't get me wrong, I'm a tech person, right? Like I have a mm-hmm. podcast called Talking with Tech. Um, <laughs> but I think technology can sometimes be displacing stories. Um, you know, and we know that everyone, not just kids, everyone learns through storytelling. When we're, you know, sitting in a lecture, you know, we might not remember all of the, you know, fine details and the data, but like if somebody tells a clinical story, it's going to stick, right? So Mm -hmm. it's just really important that we're, you know, not only recognizing that stories can be displaced by technology and tablets and phones, um, you know, but it's really important it's a really important way for kids to learn. Um, I was just doing, uh, I just uh, was visiting one of my friends and I sat with her two children and was reading a story before bed. And, you know, there were several instances where I was reading and they stopped me and they say, what does that word mean? Um, and so it's just like a perfect example of, you know, not only the, the language immersion aspect, but it's a teaching opportunity. Kids are learning through these stories and not just vocabulary. They're learning all types of different things. How, how, how many students have we had that once they gain literacy skills, they improve not only expressive language, mm-hmm. receptive language, social skills, just overall quality of life because of, the, because of literacy skills. And this all starts with reading to them. Before they're able to read independently, they need to be read to. Before you can run, you need to walk, you need to crawl. And it's the exact same thing with literacy. And it just the way it improves overall quality of life and the ability to express yourself and interact with others and and take in the world around you because of literacy skills it's it's incredible and during this these crucial ages of birth to five they really need to be exposed to really huge language and this is something i'm always talking to my parents about is you know talk to your kid just as you talk to me use these big words use these big language get them to be curious get them to ask questions get them to use the exact same word you're using. We were talking about this off air a little bit before, before we started. And Michael was asking me about my kids. And I said, it's the, it's how I've learned what natural language development looks like. And I I'm finding out that my five-year-old who can now read the pout pout fish book back to us from memory, but he's picked up the sarcasm that I try to put in when we read the Batman books. When we, you know, have a bad guy voice and I do menacing voice or, or fe- features, he picks up on that. And the, the two-year-old, Andrew, is starting to do the same thing. And it just blows my mind how just reading a book like that. And I'm a speech pathologist and I get it that sometimes it's super tiring to read a book to the kids. 
as they're crawling around and one is whipped off their diaper and you got to put the diaper back on. And the other one is asking if he can stay up till 1030 because he didn't get his fruit snacks. I get it. You have to make but, it fun, Matt. Come on, man. <laughs> it is therapy time and we're going to sit down and there are going to be reading time. Get into your circles. And you're going to love it. Crisscross applesauce right now. <laughs> you got to chill, bro. I'm a pout, pout fish, right? I got... <laughs> How great man. is that book, though? I love pout pout fish uh we have uh my 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 oldest when we do the blub 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 because in our family we really love the lion king and he turns the last one into blub savania and he just shouts it and i'm like all right man like you do you dude i love it like go for it i was reading i was reading that book uh the woman who swallowed a fly the other day with like a with like a four-year-old girl and she was just crying laughing like (laughs) like she thought it was the funniest thing she's ever heard in her life and that was and it was awesome and that was pretty much the session and she loved it what is your earliest memory of a book oh that's a good one Hmm. yesterday (laughs) (laughs) i have two while you guys think about it my first books that i remember reading were comic books and just going to the shop with my dad and buying the dollar X-Men comics and reading about those. But the first real book I read was I was about 10 years old and I read Jurassic Park by Michael Crichton. And I've read that book almost every summer now uh, since then. And every year I find something different about that book that I didn't understand when I was 10 years old about genetic modification and the ethics of it. But like books, I remember being happy with. I remember reading the Red Badge of Courage under my desk secretly in religion class because it was more interesting than reading about who created what. But what was your guys' early memories of books? So, you know, I, this, that's actually a really great question. I was excited to think about that. Um, Rachel, it's almost like I host a show and I get to I mean, right? It's it. almost like you do this every week. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I actually remember probably my earliest memories are Beatrix Potter and Peter Ooh. Rabbit. So we had all the books. Um, I have a twin brother and um, we used to read those before bed and I just loved those books. Um, And then when I started reading myself, um, I don't know if this is my earliest memory, but I used to love Goosebumps. I was just going to say that. I was just going to say Goosebumps. I loved those books. Yep. I was big on Goosebumps and Berenstain Bears. Oh yeah, I forgot about the Berenstain Bears. (laughs) They were awesome. They were always getting I, it, always getting into trouble. I never did the Goosebumps books. I did the Ghosts of Fear Street. Never heard of that. Which was still R.L. Stein, but Fear Street was his like teenager books, and Goosebumps were like the young, like the younger books. Hmm. Ghosts of Fear Street were like the stories of Fear Street, but for the little kids. So hmm. they were more po- like they became popular like right when I hit like fourth or fifth grade so those are the rl stein books i read you used to have to get the goosebumps books but like scratch the word goosebumps on the cover because <laughs> if you would scratch them the words would like become 3d didn't they actually have bumps on the cover yeah yeah it was the bumps mm-hmm. like that you scratch the bumps and then it like makes them like pop out is that what happened that's what i, I never- did that's what i did instead of reading them i would just scratch them <laughs> do you guys remember magic eye books do you remember I that? I do. Of course, of course. No. And you, you hold them close to your face and you push them away. 
Yeah, it feels like yep. a vision nightmare. But yeah, yeah I was yeah. all about that in life. <laughs> and I used to like pop up books that you would open and then they would like pop up. I'm trying to think well, what else. Getting back to this article real quick. They said based on the calculations of what they said, kids who this is how many words kids will have heard by the time they are five. If they are never read to, they will hear about four thousand six hundred and sixty two words. If they're read to one to one to two times a week, it's sixty three thousand words. Three to five times a week, it's 169,000. If they're read to daily, it's 296,000. And if they are read five books a day, it is uh, 1.4 million words by the time they are five. Wow. There but you have I, it. I'll be honest. I do. We do not read five books. To, well, I don't know. Now I take that back. I want to say we don't read five books a day, but he has contact with five books a day. Did you ever see that thing on Facebook? Uh, there's a principal of a preschool, I think, who she does like a Facebook Live book reading every night. Yes, I yeah. saw that. Really Ooh. cool, really cool. It's so that her like students get a book read to them in the summertime, right? I believe, I believe it's a school in a like low socioeconomic status. So I think a lot of parents work multiple jobs and may not have time to read to them. So she does it all, all through social media, and it's a huge hit. And I just found her, her name. I hope I'm not is, wrong about that. No, no, no. It's out of Beaumont, Texas. Her name is, let's find her. Let's give her the print. Uh, Homer Drive Elementary School Principal Belinda George sits in front of her iPhone every Tuesday night at 730 and reads a story streamed to children on the school's Facebook page. So there See, you go. We can use technology in amazing ways to, you know, support literacy. I love it. She she calls it tucked in Tuesdays. I oh, like it. Clever. I like it. I love that. She says, kids come up to me on Wednesday and say, Dr. George, I saw you in your PJs reading. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> hold on. I'm gonna we're gonna share part of this. Let's see. How do I share? Baby shark. Okay, well, I thought that was her reading, but evidently that is her sharing the baby shark it's a baby shark is a revolution that i don't <laughs> want to be a part of no uh, we want to hear from you how do you incorporate reading and do your students have a million words by they hit five we hope so give us a phone call 614-681-1798 or email us speech science podcast at gmail.com or michael if they are on social media what's the hashtag and and if you read goosebumps you should let us know so what's the hashtag? <laughs> SSPod. Awesome. Coming up after the break, we're going to talk about comic books, free comic book day happening this Saturday, and why you as an SLP should be running to your comic book store to go get some free books. You're listening to Speech Science. Do you have an idea for a product or book? Or are you ready to go beyond in-service presentations? Well, how do you get started? And what if you don't have any business experience at all? Well, I have some great news for you. I'm Mailing Chan, and I'm getting the nitty-gritty stories from parents, teachers, therapists, advocates, and people with disabilities who have created successful businesses, and they're sharing their intimate stories with you. Listen to us on the Exceptional Leaders Podcast and fast-track creating and building and sharing your idea with the world so that you can help more people.
welcome back to Speech Science. I'm Matt Hot, and I'm excited. I am fantastic. I am all the adjectives uh, to describe excited to be joined by Summer Lore. Hi, Summer. Hi. You're one of the very few to be on the show twice. So Ooh, that's okay. awesome. Uh, at least in the inner to be interviewed part. Uh, the first time was you were out at ASHA, correct? Yeah, I talked to Mei Lang Chan. And you won something and got featured here, and that yes, was awesome. It was, um, yeah, it was who got the most uh, got the most likes on their picture, and I think I beat everybody else <laughs> by like hundred percent. Yeah, so that was well, exciting. No need to be modest. You kicked everyone's butt. We're excited for that. No, if I could tell my middle school self that I'd won a literal <laughs> popularity contest, she would just die. Uh, <laughs> you and me both. I would be like, what? I was who? <laughs> Also, summer may be recognizable to some of you, probably a lot of you that listen to the speech science, because if you're like me, we may not be type A personalities. So summer, what do you what do you run on Facebook for us? Um, I run a group and a page called SL Beeps. It is for type B SLPs. And I think a lot of us thought that we were the only ones out there. We did. And it turns out we are absolutely not. I have an intern this semester, and how do I put this nicely? She tried really hard to be a type A for the first day or so until she realized that I was not. And then she was like, oh, nice. I could be myself. And I was like, oh, yeah, look at my desk. It's organized, but only <laughs> in a way that I understand it. Yeah, I think it's, it's really great when we have an opportunity to uh, tell students that there's there's more than one way to be an SLP. Yeah, I do not own a laminator. I think the last thing I laminated was two years ago. So mm -hmm. <laughs> I own a laminator. It's at the back of my closet with the rest <laughs> of my good intentions. <laughs> well, Summer, you are on today not to talk about type B personalities. However, I feel like that's a, either a 10 minute conversation or a 10 hour. You're mm -hmm. on this week because on Saturday of this week, it's free comic book day, May 4th. May the 4th be with you, by the way. Yes. And I can tell you're not Catholic because if Catholic, you would have said, and also with you. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's funny. Like here in Cincinnati, we're a lot of Catholic people and Star Wars <laughs> fans were always like, may the 4th be with you. And you're always like, and with you too. And you're, everyone's like, I knew it. But May the oh. 4th, free comic book day. What does that have to do with speech therapy? Everything. And that's why you're here, right? Yeah. Um, instead of laminated materials, my favorite thing to use with my middle school students who um, are uh, in the mod to severe end of the autism spectrum is, um, I totally lost the beginning of that sentence, but my favorite thing to use is comic books. <laughs> I understood where we were going with that. Yeah, now, when we, when we talk comic books, everyone automatically thinks Deadpool because he was famous in a movie. The Avengers Endgame, which came out, I think, last week. Or, I'm sorry, Infinity Award came out earlier this week, if we're recording this correctly. Right. We have to pretend that we're in the future right now. This right. is our... and everybody... Right. So everybody <laughs> thinks of superhero comics, and they think of the superhero comics particularly that are aimed at... Um, young adults and young men and those are great and there is an entire world of comic books and graphic novels outside of superheroes and some really diverse and exciting superheroes that you might not have heard about yet 
So before we get into how you use it, are you prepared to talk a little bit about the the studies behind it or anything? Because I pulled up a couple just in case. I'm a little bit prepared to talk about it. So okay. most of the uh, work I looked at was um, through literacy research and also mm-hmm. through library science research. And comic books and graphic novels and this kind of what's technically called sequential art is um, in a few studies and just through common sense, one of the best ways to reach um, young, reluctant readers. And that's kind of what I pulled up as well. And it, and it makes sense. We, we as SLPs, when we work with the young kids, and I should ask you this, do you work with mainly just middle schoolers? Uh, kindergarten through eighth grade, mostly right now. Oh, um, ASD you're with the young ones. <laughs> disturbance. Yeah. I can't do the young ones. I have to work with the older ones. Just I have a five-year-old and a two-year-old, and I like not train conversations all day. <laughs> I um I like working with the little ones, but I find that they're not very impressed with my knowledge of comic books and video games. So I feel like <laughs> I, I work better with the older kids. But what I was going to say was, it, it makes sense. When I get to read with my five and two-year-old, I don't pull out the Jurassic Park novel from Michael Crichton back in 90 or 89. I don't pull out Tom Clancy, Clear and Present Danger. I'm pulling out the Pout Pout Fish. I'm pulling out the Star Wars picture book. I am pulling out Mm -hmm. the five-minute Batman stories that have pictures on them because the kids love the pictures and they may not understand the words that I'm saying, but they understand what's happening in the pictures and then that's how they build their language, right? Absolutely. So a lot of the other research that I'm relying on is the research on uh, narrative and um, all the wonderful work by Westby and Gillum and um, people like that. And we do have a fair amount of research in our field on narrative and the importance of narrative. And one of the studies that I do not have in front of me, but that I thought was really great Um, was on a narrative with uh, incarcerated youth. Oh. And uh, developing developing their ability to tell their own stories and to understand um, what other people's motivation is and working on theory of mind through narrative. Ooh, that sounds interesting. And, you know, for kids on the spectrum, theory of mind is a huge thing. And what I... um, what I really like about comic books to get into the into the nitty gritty of it is, yes, you can do a story grammar and a narrative on an entire chapter, but what's really magical about comic books is on each two-page spread, there is a story arc. Mm-hmm. All you need is two pages to have an entire session of discussion on okay, so who is this character? What did they want? How did they react to the obstacle? One of the books I read, uh, this was back in grad school, I believe it was called, I had to pull it up, uh, by Terry Thompson. It's Adventures in Graphica, Using Comics and Graphic Novels to Teach Reading Comprehension in uh, grades two through six. Talks just about that, how when we look at a graphic novel or a comic book, those pictures tell the story that even if the kids don't understand the language, it exposes them to the topic. It exposes them to character growth. It exposes them to how to tell a story. So 
how do you pick and choose which graphic novels or comic books you're going to use? And then let's talk about how that looks in therapy. Cause I love this idea. I've kept trying to tell myself I'm going to do it next year in therapy. And I never get over that hurdle, but how do you use it? Um, I'd say the, the, the place to start, um, one place to start that we'll talk about is free comic book day, yes, which is let's how start I, there. let's start there. Yeah, let's start there. Okay. So, um, through NPR a couple years ago, I learned about free comic book day, by the way, NPR has phenomenal comic and graphic novel coverage, particularly on their website. So I found out that I could go to free comic book day and, you know, maybe I could get two comics or maybe I could get a handful. And the direction I got was to ask for all ages comic books. So I did. And I got a, um, the first, one of the things I got, there was a big stack. I got a lot of familiar characters. There were some Disney princesses. There was some SpongeBob. Um, the best one was uh, Sparks by Ian Boothby and Nina... Matsumoto, who have also worked on um, Futurama, author and illustrator, and um, it is about two cats who pilot a robotic dog suit, and it <laughs> starts on the first page being narrated by their sentient talking robot litter box, <laughs> and at that point, you're either in or you're out, but my kids at work were so in, and um kids who were very reluctant to read things out loud would, you know, try the, the sound effects in the background and the onomatopoeia. And, you know, sometimes they would just read whoosh. And that was enough. <laughs> they were really, really engaged. So that was part of it. And then the other, uh, and then the other big thing that started for me was when um, Marvel started their, diversity initiative basically mm -hmm. where they um introduced uh ms marvel who is the uh uh muslim teenager living in new jersey kamala khan yes and um and uh moon girl and devil dinosaur which oh, is yeah. about the smartest person in the marvel universe who is um an African-American tween girl who is very prickly and superior about things in a way that a lot of my students relate to. Yep. No, she does not have time for her friends. She is saving the world. And everybody is like, why don't you just be a regular kid? And she's like, no, thanks. <laughs> and, and you're right. That diversity push by Marvel Comics, if you're the listener at home, you may have heard about it because what got the big headlines was the quote unquote, and, and I'm putting it in quotes, Black Captain America, uh, which was Sam taking over the shield from uh, Steve Rogers, or the push for the Black Hispanic Spider-Man. And again, I'm putting those in air quotes, because what they did was Marvel decided, hey, we need to have more diversity than all these white dudes cut out of a uh, weightlifter magazine <laughs> put into the superhero suits. So was that your first experience really into the Marvel comics in that way? Yeah, actually, that was, because I was kind of, you know, dimly aware, but when I started hearing about Kamala Khan, and then the other one was Squirrel Girl, mm -hmm. you know, I'd always liked reading comic strips and stuff like that, but I just really didn't get into comics, and I heard about it on NPR, and I started reading them, and they're amazing, and I've always loved graphic um, memoirs, 
like Persepolis and Mouse, which are absolutely for adults. Um, yes. Uh, I did have some exposure to those in college, and they're terrific books. Mouse, uh, if that sounds familiar for anyone that's kind of that, oh, I've heard that before. Uh, basically, Art Spiegelman uh, interviewed his father about his time in the uh, concentration camps in World War II Germany, and he wrote the story as the Jewish population as mice, the Germans as cats, the Americans as dogs, etc. Uh, heartbreaking story. But it's, I think it's actually really good for the high school, some of the high school kids that are having a hard time grasping the brutality. Uh, some of my higher functioning autism kids have a hard time grasping it and we'll pull out, I have used mouse, I should say. Uh, we've used mouse a little bit to kind of help explain what what is actually going on. Right, and with the kids with higher language skills who are working on academics and pre-college, you can talk about how the author is using an allegory, and it seems like it should be silly that they're mice, but it's incredibly powerful. That book just mm -hmm. broke me. Yeah, it, it is. That is a heartbreaking story. I read it for the first time in college. Uh, I took a Holocaust class, and that was one of the required readings. And I was like, oh, I get to read a comic book. And mm -hmm. I was crying about midway through that book and couldn't stop crying because of the story um well and there are two books and the second one is mm -hmm. called in here my troubles began i think and the the first one broke me and then the second one was just it was a lot right um when we talk about graphic novels or comic books there's also uh graphic novelizations of romeo and juliet frankenstein uh fahrenheit 451 there is one that's 1984 that i saw as a graphic novelization and these are wonderful ways that if our students are having such a hard time grasping, they can just kind of turn to that. Absolutely. And like with each line and with each panel, maybe they don't understand what the person is communicating with just the words, but there's, you know, almost always a facial expression to go with it. There's just so much textual richness. I just saw a big display in the bookstore yesterday of, um, Greek classics or uh, Greek mythology. Mm -hmm. and, and if you're wondering, you're like, oh, what is Free Comic Book Day? We mentioned it earlier. Their website is freecomicbookday.com. It's got a listing I'm kind of scrolling through as we talk about all the books that are available on Free Comic Book Day. They include anything from, if you have a student that enjoys Pokemon, there's Avengers, there's Riverdale, which is the Archie story. Uh, there's a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle one. There's a Doctor Who, Stranger Things. Um, and then a little bit off the beaten path, there is one called Blastosaurus. That looks interesting. I might pick that up for my son. <laughs> There's little Lulu. There is, let's see, Robotech, Star Wars. Uh, so this is the design to help get people into the comic book store. So our fellow SLPs, we get them into the comic book store, and then what? <laughs> so, yeah, I think I... Um... Like probably a lot of people was a little intimidated by comic book stores. I, they just didn't seem like they were for me. Um, but uh, I went in there and it turns out they're basically small independent bookstores where the people are really, really happy to tell you what they know and be helpful, which of course they are. <laughs> um, and after my first free comic, day i have gone to uh back to the comic book store quite a few times for my students and for myself 
So um, if you're going on free comic book day or for another day, the first most important thing you need to know when you're asking for help is to ask for all ages comic books. Um, because that's going to be your roughly G-rated um, <laughs> comic books. Um, I have used things up through T for Teen with mm -hmm. middle school kids. Um, often T for Teen doesn't mean more than a whole lot of punching, but it's going to depend on the book. So for the most part, absolutely go all ages. So that's where you'll get SpongeBob and My Little Pony, but also a lot of things you've never heard of before that are terrific. And on the website, you can also do the find a shop, which is what I'm using right now to see what's near me that's participating. But I think you're right. When you go in there, you ask for the all ages. Um, I know I said earlier that I don't use comics in therapy, and I'm thinking back to a couple of times where I have used comics in therapy. Uh, I had a student who recently, well, at the time, was uh, diagnosed with a profound hearing loss. And he was scared and confused because he was just like, this is just another thing that's happening. Oh, yeah. And uh, at the time, Hawkeye, who we know from the Avengers, uh, he was diagnosed in the comic books, no joke, with a profound to se or severe to profound hearing loss uh, due oh. to a bomb blast in the comic books. Yeah. So he did. They did a six-story arc where he used sign language uh, in the comic book. That's amazing. So like. And, and and it's heartbreaking because uh, if you're familiar with comics, when someone talks, there's a little bubble that comes out of their mouth with all the words. And Hawkeye had the bubbles. And then in the first couple uh, pages of the first part of the story, the people that talked to him had the bubble, but it was completely blank because he couldn't That's understand. Such a great illustration. Right. And he couldn't hear what they were saying. And then, they started to do sign language and then they would show what the sign language would look like, like in, in static form. And then it would yeah. have a little editor's note to say what it meant. That's and terrific. Yeah. So I, I bought those for my, my student and I was just like, let's here, just read these, just take them home, read them. And he came back and he was just, you know, super pumped. He's like, I could go fight bad guys. And I'm like, oh, I don't <laughs> think we go that far, but I'm glad you found that. And the other one was I, I had a reader that had a hard time. Or I had a student, we were working on a reading comp. He just didn't like reading. And mm -hmm. I went to my comic book shop and I'll give a, a shout out to Superfly Comics in uh, Dayton, Ohio, or Yellow Springs, Ohio, and uh, Tony and Jared up there. And I said, hey, I've got a student, uh, student of color, low income. He wants to, he doesn't like to read. What can we get for him? And they were like, hey, have you heard of Static Shock? And Static Shock is the story of a African-American teenager who gets superpowers and is one of the most powerful superheroes in the world. And I worked with my student on reading comprehension using a book about someone who looked like him. And he thought it was the greatest thing. And then, you know, I was able to say, hey, he doesn't have a reading comprehension issue. He has a I don't like reading issue <laughs> totally separate thing and that's what's amazing is the opportunities in comics especially if you go into web comics and indie comics to um see them for kids to see themselves represented there's also the graphic novel el defo Ooh, i don't know that one. Oh, it's um it's a memoir of a um young woman who had hearing loss when she was a toddler 
I think so. She has severe profound hearing loss and she gets a relatively early hearing aid. And um, it's just a very funny, insightful book. That's awesome. I was going to say, as we start to wrap up, I wanted to pick your brain. What are some of your favorite books? And I guess Eldefa would be one of them. Favorite books or graphic novels that you either enjoy personally, and then also what you enjoy for, for therapy, titles or anything like that? Um, okay, so my one of my personal favorites is The Unbeatable Squirrel Girl. Um, <laughs> she is a... Uh, college student studying computer science and she has beat all the biggest bad guys in the marvel universe usually through um just you know talking them out of whatever their evil plan was although yes she can fight her motto is that she eats nuts and kicks butts <laughs> she has the um relative the powers and relative strength of a squirrel and also she can talk to squirrels it's just, it's very funny and geeky and silly. Um, and just to read for myself, those books are so goofy and funny. Um, and the other thing that uh, women of a certain age or, you know, mid, mid 30s, 40s uh, will get really excited about is the Babysitter's Club, which was the obsessive book series of my youth. That's a comic now? A has been um, reimagined as a series of comic <laughs> books by uh, the graphic novelist Raina Telgmeier, who just writes some of the best graphic novels for second through sixth grades, period. <laughs> um, it's, it's really true to the books and the characters, but they go, they go fast and they're just wonderfully sensitive and the books deal with more serious issues than I remembered um <laughs> but in a way that's kid appropriate um in addition to sparks which um my middle school boys cannot uh stop reading um they <laughs> really really love it they have also been super into the my little pony comic books which um are quality wise i'd say on par with the tv show hmm. and uh very very expressive and you get a lot of verbs in there that's the other thing that i like is um it's hard to find really compelling uh when you want to say to a student who has hundreds or thousands of nouns but can't construct a sentence because they don't know any verbs um hey, what's this character doing? And you can get, again, across that two-page spread, a lot of different verbs. And um, this goes with the research, too, a lot, of, um, a lot of variety in the verbs. He's riding a unicorn, she is riding a unicorn. And that doing a variety of characters with a particular verb is an you know, evidence-supported practice. What... I really like, and, and, and I love the books that you talked about. Some of them I have never heard of before, and I am going to go check out, especially Sparks. I think that's the one you said, the cat's mm -hmm. controlling a dog suit. or dogs Yes, because, right, because everyone, no one thinks cats are going to rescue people. They think dogs will rescue people. People love dogs. So they, uh, yeah, pilot a robot dog suit to well, save people. <laughs> that's funny and just of itself, but I love the idea that, you know, we struggle sometimes to find novels that are self-contained, 
a story that's self-contained that we can read in a 20, 30, or a 20 to 30 minute therapy session and still get uh, questions in to get teaching in. And, and the nice thing about the comic books is that it's all self-contained. And a lot of times the books can be read in 15 minutes and that gives you 15 minutes to really talk about the therapy of it. Exactly. And you can mix up your groups for reading comprehension a little bit more for comprehension of the text because, you know, some of the students, this will be at their reading level. Some of them, it'll be below their reading level, but it doesn't feel too babyish. And some of them maybe can't read at all, but they can still talk to you about the book and still follow what's going on. So I didn't get to say what some of the, my favorite books that I get to read or, or novels in general or graphic novels in general. Uh, these are the ones that I would always say if someone's like, oh, comic books are too kiddish and I can't read them with anybody else. Here's the ones I would say. If you're looking for a superhero one, it's God Loves, Man Kills. It's the X-Men, God Loves, Man Kills. It was written in the 70s or 80s and it's an allegory on racism in America. But instead, what they're saying is that they want to kill the mutants because they're mutants and something that they yeah. can't control. And it's a heartbreaking story because it opens up with two young children being murdered on a playground because of who they are. Yeah. And, and it's such a heartbreaking story that when you say, oh, comic books are for kids, that's the first one I would say here. This is, if you have a, a story on uh, Black History Month, this is a story to, to help get the kids into understanding that whole idea. Uh, speaking of Black History Month, I haven't read them yet, but the, uh, the March trilogy. What is that? It's an autobiographical uh, tri um, trilogy of graphic novels by John Lewis about the early civil rights movement. Oh, um, that sounds aimed, great. Yes. Um, it's aimed, I believe, at uh, high school and possibly more uh, sophisticated middle schoolers. Um, but it looks terrific. Oh, that sounds like an awesome story to read. I'm in for that. <laughs> so that's on my, that's very much on my to-read list. And then and then the other thing, um, the other thing that's always worth looking into, although it can be, it can be effortful to find, is web comics. Um, I have found some very good all ages web comics, although they do tend to disappear <laughs> because they, it is very expensive to host them. Yes, that is that is sometimes the problem. Um, some of the other books I was just going to mention real quick, I apologize, is uh, Axe Cop. Have you ever heard of Axe Cop? It sounds familiar. So Axe Cop, uh, it's also a cartoon now on Adult Swim, but this one, the, the comic book, uh, it's, I would say it's probably aged or aimed at kids 10 or older, but it's basically a story. Uh, the background is, is this comic book artist, he was 22 or 23 when he started, and he was forced to play with one of his uh, half siblings, who was about five or six years old. And he started to realize the kid had a wonderful imagination. So he would just ask the kid to create a character and then he would draw what the character would look like. <laughs> and then he would ask the kid uh, about, well, what, you know, and he picked an, a police officer and he's like, well, what, how does the police officer, you know, save the day? And he was, the kid was like, Oh, he carries an ax. His name is ax cop. 
And wow. it was like, okay. And then his partner gets turned into an avocado and his <laughs> vehicle is a dinosaur with machine gun arms. And <laughs> right. But it's written by a five-year-old drawn by a 20 mid 20 year old. And it's a wonderful story for kids because you know, it's got all those wonderful moving pictures and the adjectives and what kind of fruit or vegetable would you want to be turned into? And if you could ride a dinosaur, what dinosaur would you ride or ride? Um, mm -hmm. Other stories that I'm into that I think would be appropriate that I keep bringing, wanting to bring into therapy. Uh, there's a book called Morning Glories. Uh, it's kind of like the X-Men. All these kids were born at the same time and given superpowers from around the world. And they have to try to find a way to you know, save it. And the last one that I have to give a plug for would be uh, any, it's, this one's for more older kids. Uh, it's by Dirk Manning. It's the nightmare world and Mr. Ree. It's basically the day after the apocalypse happens. Ah, uh, okay. So it's definitely a horror book, not really good for real young kids, but if you've got that older kid, that's just like, I hate reading. I'm really into horror and I can't tell you, I can't wait to tell you all the details of every bloody <laughs> movie I've ever seen. That right. might be a book for him as well. Excellent. So, Summer, before we wrap up, any other closing thoughts real quick? And then also, where can everyone find you uh, in the social media space? Um, you can find me at my Facebook page um, or on my blog, which is slbeeps.com. It's a play on slpeeps. Um, which I still love as a hashtag, I'm just saying. <laughs> it was a, yeah, it was a terrific hashtag. <laughs> And, um, and I just, uh, and I guess the last thought is if you're really, really unsure where to start, start with Scholastic for middle mm -hmm. grades. Um, their, their graphic novel collection is really terrific. And overall, the big thing is just get kids into reading. Anything we can do yes. to try to get them there. Another tool in our SLP toolbox, as they say. Absolutely. Summer, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Welcome back to Speech Science, Episode 76. I'm Matt Hot. Excited to be joined by Talking With Tech's own Rachel Madel. Yeah, I'm excited to be here, Matt. I love speech science. Yay. Hey, by the way, our dual episode, whatever you want to call that thing, uh, was one of our largest downloads ever. So that was pretty cool. I know. It was so fun. What an engaging conversation. And I just love the live component where people were calling in and texting. It was so fun. And that was the only time we ever got text messages to our number, by the way. <laughs> Which you at home, it's 614-681-1798. Text us. And my favorite guy from Philadelphia next to Will Smith, Michael McLeod. How are you? I am great, buddy. How are you? I'm doing well. Well, we always end on a happy note. And did you see what Lego is bringing out? They're bringing out Braille Legos. It's so cool. That's amazing. Which part of it is Braille, though? So it, it's kind of teaching how to do reading, I guess. The top of it, the, there's different sets of uh, bumps on the top of the bricks uh, that correspond to uh, letters and, and numbers and that kind of thing. So, like, if you're trying to teach kids how to build and say words, uh, you would do it that way through Lego bricks with Lego Braille. So, there you go. Very cool. <laughs> like, I figured there would be a lot more discussion off of that. It says, as we engage experts within this field, we realize just how important it is for all kids who are blind or low vision to learn Braille. 
So that's why they're doing this is to help teach kids how to read. Anytime a special community is being helped out, I'm all about it. I love it. Uh, the bricks, which are compatible with other Lego toys, are also printed with visual letters or numbers, so sighted family members and students can also learn Braille. There you go. All right, guys. We've got just six, seven minutes left. Let's send this thing home. Rachel, as the guest host this week, tell us something fun and or exciting. Well, you already told us, but what is something else fun or exciting you're looking forward to in the next week? besides the Grand Canyon. I know. I mean, it's hard because I'm going to be hiking in the Grand Canyon, which is more <laughs> exciting than that. Uh, oh, I have something exciting related to our trip. Okay. So it's really, it's a really intense hike to get down into the Grand Canyon, but an even more intense hike to get out the last day that you're there. And yeah. we, we won the mule lottery. So there's What's a lottery, mean? there's a lottery system. They only have a certain amount of mules they take down into the canyon. And you have to put your like name and like I guess this lottery. And we won, which means that we don't have to carry like our tent and our sleeping bag on our backs. What? That's so yeah. Cool. I'm like real excited about that actually. And Michael, what are you looking forward to this week? That is really, Rachel, that is not fair. That is really hard to like follow up. So I'm glad Michael's going. <laughs> yeah. So I, <laughs> I have a bunch of my New York friends uh, coming this weekend to visit me. Uh, Going to see the Avengers movie, uh, play some football, go to this food truck thing going on. Um, of course, a lot of private practice stuff happening for the next two days and into the weekend, of course, a lot of evals. So pretty much standard, you know. I feel like this is the perfect time of year in Philly. It's like starting to get really nice and spring has sprung. I don't know. I've never been to Philadelphia. I'm Michael? actually, fr I'm, I'm from Philly originally. Are you I really? If, I don't know if your listeners know that. Yeah. No, we don't know anything about you. Yes, I am. I moved uh, from Philly about five years ago. So huh. I've I only been on, on the West Coast for five years so you're originally an east coaster just like the rest of us oh yeah good from lancaster though it's true it's true <laughs> actually i met someone from new york and he was questioning my east coastness because i was from lancaster which is a little bit uh, further west and i was so offended and i got so feisty that he was like just kidding you're definitely an east coaster after that response <laughs> uh, i'm from cincinnati where we eat chili on top of spaghetti and uh, wow. that's about it. <laughs> wow. Uh, over the next week, I've got 17 days left until the school year is over. And I scheduled a bunch of interviews that I'm super excited about to be put on air. So that's all I got. What, so are you working over the summer, Matt? Or you're like totally off? I am leaving schools May 24th to take a temporary break to work in home care for the next couple of years. Ooh, wow. I had no idea. But that doesn't officially take place until I get back from Disney, which I'm leaving on June 9th to go to Disney. And then we're going to Disney again in like September. And then Asha takes place in Orlando and I have Disney season passes that just so happen to be good that week. So three Disney vacations in one year is a good reason to not be in schools. Yeah, that's, Dis <laughs> that's, Disney. that's Disney overload. A lot of Disney happening. I'm okay with it. I I'm love a, Disney. I'm, I'm a nerd. Uh, we want to hear from you at home. Make sure you head over to our website, speechsciencepodcast.com 
com, and you can email us speechsciencepodcast at gmail.com or give us a phone call 614-681-1798 make sure you also head over and rate and review us on iTunes that's the way we know what we're doing that you enjoy our opening music tonight is please listen carefully by Jazar it's licensed under an attribution and share alike license our bump music is the county fair rock copyright of john deku at soundcloud.com slash dirt dog music and our closing music which you hear right now is the slow burn by kevin mcleod it's licensed under a creative commons and attribution license for rachel madel and michael mcleod i'm matt hot and in the immortal words of janice wright when you are in adversity don't be the oak the oak will crack under pressure be the willow the willow will bend and return to form until next week so long everybody This has been an Exceptional Podcast Network production. Speech Science is edited and produced by MWH Production. Please follow Speech Science on Twitter at SpeechSciencePC and like our page on Facebook. For more original podcasts, please visit ExceptionalEd.com and rate and subscribe to our podcast anywhere you get your podcasts.